This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. I'm Sam, and I'm joined today by Adam Keane, Managing Director and Founder at Keane Partners. Welcome, Adam. Good to be here, Sam. We always begin in this semi-vanilla way. Just perhaps you could let our listeners know what it is you've done through your career and how have you arrived at today? Absolutely. I guess first things first, I studied at economics at Cardiff University and uh, moved on from there to work for the two big consulting firms in our industry, one called Leighton and one called Aiming. And spent about seven years there before kind of shuffling through the ranks and up the ranks and decided in 2017 it was time to take control of my own destiny and start up my own firm. Congrats. When you started Keen Partners, I presume there was probably a, a problem you're trying to solve, if that's a loaded question, because I know there was a problem you were trying to solve. And how do you think you're doing in terms of achieving that goal? There's two main things which are important within a consulting firm. Number one is the employees, the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis. And the second one is the clients and your clients. We knew that if we sorted out problem number one, then problem number two would sort itself out. So we started the company with a heavy focus on our employees, empowering them and enabling them to do more. And we knew that if we could do that, then we'd be able to to give our clients the best possible service. So the first thing that we did was we gave all of our employees a performance-related pay package, which meant that they could take control of their own destiny, they could work hard, earn more, and then do more with their lives. And I passionately believe that If you employ people, then you have a responsibility to make sure that the people around you, the people you're giving money to on a a monthly basis who are giving you their time, that you are doing as much as you possibly can to help them achieve their goals. And that's what we wanted to do. So if you can intrinsically link their time inside the office and inside the business with their achievements and what they're able to achieve, then you've got yourself an employee for life that's really motivated and wants to do more. So we thought that if we give everyone unlimited holiday leave and a performance rated pay package and just work in that culture which is always driving towards success then they'd want to be there they'd feel stimulated and then as a result they'd spend really good time quality time with our clients and deliver the best possible service awesome having been to your office and and met some of your your team and co-workers i can testify to that in fact i think the day i went there they were high-fiving about the unlimited pay time off um policy (laughs) that you had instilled it did go down well that (laughs) good i'm very pleased i know a little bit about your industry not not a great deal having read the government's industrial strategy r&d incentives are way at the top in fact i think out of a two three hundred page document it's pretty much all that's spoken about in the first 16 pages increasing R&D as a percentage of GDP and then increasing the rebate from 10% to to 12%. Perhaps you can just let the listeners know, I certainly before meeting you knew nothing of this area of of business. What are the parameters for making R&D tax claims? Who's eligible? Is everyone eligible? And perhaps you can explain a little bit about the UK's broader programs. Absolutely, yeah. So last year there were 29,000 R&D tax claims made and HMRC paid just shy of £3 billion to industry. The majority went to large companies, even though more SMEs make claims than large companies. 
the answer to your question, who can claim, essentially, there's a couple of boxes that need to be ticked. The first one is that you need to be liable to pay corporation tax in the UK. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to be profitable. In fact, you can be loss making and still make an R&D tax claim and receive cash. And secondly, you need to be undertaking R&D activities as per the guidelines. As a kind of one-liner, what is R&D as per the guidelines? The question is, are you paying for either directly or indirectly for technically challenging work to be done by technical professionals? So engineers, developers, product developers, project managers, those guys undertaking non-routine activities. If you're ticking those boxes, then certainly something you should be looking at. Can you give an example, maybe, just to put it into perspective of, of an activity that someone, a client of yours, maybe hasn't thought was an eligible case and then actually was and they got a rebate for? I don't know how long you've got, but we can we can go on all day on this. Uh, where was I today? So this morning I was down with a construction company based in Kent. They had never considered making an R&D tax claim. They had developed some systems for reducing the program length of a construction project. They had never considered that their activities there would qualify. We work in the printing industry quite a lot. We work in software development, food technology. Internal software development is an often overlooked area. You name it, if you dig a little bit, then there's often R&D going on. Okay, and is that because... A lot of people think that whatever they're doing and accomplishing in their everyday job doesn't qualify as R&D because they don't feel like it's anything other than them pushing themselves out of the ordinary boundaries of data to Absolutely right. And, and they, they will often turn around and actually the company I was with this morning said it to me. They said, that's just what we do, Adam. And our response often is, well, you may not call it R&D, but actually what you do inherently perhaps is research and development. It's a slight change of mindset. It's a slight realization moment for them. We've had some clients in the past that have renamed some of their teams and some of their job titles R&D and actually started to bring it into their culture a bit okay. more. Very cool. The listeners always get sick and tired of me putting uh, the UK government and the broader fintech agenda on a soapbox. But it really does feel like government are behind this and HMRC are doing everything they can to open the eyes of those out there. Two sides to this question. Firstly, are they doing as good a job as it seems? And secondly, what more can be done? And maybe it's a public-private sector partnership to really get the word out there that R&D tax incentives are an opportunity for everyone. There's a few things going on in your question there. Number one, are they doing enough Yes, they are in some instances, in some respects. Our scheme is generous, for sure. If you look at it on a, on a global scale, it is generous. Is there more that could be done in terms of promoting the scheme? Absolutely right, there could be. And there's little which is done from HMRC's perspective. It falls on us advisors, actually. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a, a very interesting point there, which is about the feeling that they're looking to reward innovative companies in the UK. I sit on something called the Research and Development Incentives and Reliefs Advisory Board. And essentially what happened in the last meeting was the lead inspector within HMRC stood up and said, congratulations, there were 20% more claims made in the last period than the period before. So we're seeing people within HMRC pushing us forward to, to take the opportunity to people. But equally, as soon as you start seeing numbers rise towards three, four billion pounds worth of tax relief being made available, then it needs to be policed. And something that we are perhaps not great at at the moment is giving HMRC the resources to make sure that that funding is being funneled to the right people. So it seems like, in a nutshell, everyone is eligible. <laughs> in theory, anyone running a company, profitable or loss-making, that has got a technical team 
or employing a technical team through subcontractors, they should look at this for sure. Okay. I'll make sure when we post this, we post it with your email address. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a number of different, very senior executives from some of the largest consulting firms on this podcast. We always talk about the shift from their traditional business model to new ones, whether that be more tech-enabled models or models where they take equity in return for skills and resources. I guess as you look at some of the valuations of companies out there, the multiples are way greater with tech firms. Your firm, type of firm, the industry you're in has traditionally been consulting, but you consider yourself a hybrid firm, if I'm right. What is it that gives you that definition and how much more are you planning to do in the tech space? I don't know where the phrase came from, hybrid consulting. I I think it might have been in the legal industry. I read it somewhere and thought that it just made complete sense. I think the days of traditional consulting are probably numbered. And I think that the people that are trying to purely 100% automate what we do. I don't think that's the right direction to go. I Mm -hmm. think software has a part to play, but I don't think anything, any piece of technology can really replace a true one-to-one interaction between an expert, someone super knowledgeable about their topic, and a client. So that's where we came from, the the, the angle that we we decided to put this, this hybrid consulting model in. And essentially, software does some of the heavy lifting. We use it to our advantage, and it's going to be an ever-increasing part of our business. But something which is really core to us, certainly, is that we never lose that real face-to-face time. I've already got this vision in my mind of Keen Partners as one of the UK's great tech-enabled consulting firms of the future, helping UK firms become as innovative as they can be. And I presume over time, doing that internationally as well, but championing Britain as you do it. Absolutely. You're not fundraising now. You you won't necessarily ever need to. But if you were sat in front of an investor and you had to tell the story, how would you paint Keen Partners' ultimate vision? We're advocates of innovation. That's us. We want to enable companies to do more. We want to inspire them to do more and we want to enhance their working practices, their day-to-day lives. Those are the three words which are are slap bang in the middle of our, our vision, our mission statement, inspire, enable and enhance. How we do that in the future is going to grow. Mm-hmm. The opportunities available to us are going to grow. At the moment, we are innovation focused and we enable innovation to happen. What we have, which is quite unique, and, and I think probably what we'd say to an investor is that we have a pool of clients that we work very closely with, that we understand their needs and we understand their pains, and we'd like to be able to take them more opportunities to help them grow. We are growth enablers through innovation, essentially. Very useful. Thanks. Having spent a, a bit of time with you and having been out there listening in the market, it seems like you're beginning to garner a pretty impressive following. And I know that you're in the process of constructing an all-star advisory board of the great and the good from British business. Who have been some of your most important mentors and role models through your career to date? If I think back early days, I used to do a lot of rowing. For my sins, I was in the GB junior team. And um, for Christmas from my father, I got Steve Redgrave's autobiography. And in there, he talks about how he's not the most talented. He's not the most athletically gifted. He's a, a diabetic, in fact. A lot of people don't know that. And he's asked why he he thinks that he got to the stature that he did. And he says that actually it wasn't about how hard he trained. It's actually about how he dealt with injury. It's about how he was able to come back from the knockbacks. And if at every point someone in their industry was knocked back, he would get back up. And so he just was the one that got back up more often. 
it's a pretty compelling story and and you know i've had knockbacks and, and the business will have knockbacks but as a company we're prepared for those so he's a big inspiration for me everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face yeah. that was uh, a different type of sportsman i think mike tyson that said that but it's true you got to roll with the punches and having got to know you i'm sure that, that you'll weather all storms if, if there are storms but i'm very pleased to see that you put that height to good use in the boat <laughs> <laughs> every time i've met you recently you're reading when I come to a meeting, it's not that you've not got other stuff to do, but clearly you see the value in absorbing information. What are some of the best books you've read recently? I am a, uh, I don't know what the best way of um, describing my passion for a series of books written by a guy called Daniel Priestley. I'm number one fan, I think it's fair to say. He's written a series of books that follows the journey from entrepreneurship and setting up your company through to becoming that key person of influence in your industry. And then how to replicate your knowledge as a key person of influence so that you can grow your company. Mm -hmm. The latter is a book called 24 Assets. You gave me a copy of it. I did indeed. And it's about taking a look at the asset tree and the, the assets that are necessary for a business to thrive. And then how to develop each one of those individually so that as you, as the key person of influence, loses its touch and ability to see every client and every employee, how that can then be replicated so you can guarantee quality, you can guarantee that your culture grows as your business grows. And if you've got a company with 10 to 15 people and you want to grow to 40, 50, 100, 150 people, then it's got to be on the bookshelf. Very useful. Thank you. I think we're there. I think we're done. Adam, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for explaining a little bit more about R&D incentives. We'll make sure that, that your contact details are all over the posts online. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.